Romans chapter 1, please. Let's read in verse 1 of Romans chapter 1. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated of the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom are ye also called the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege we have of being together. We pray that, Father, that uh, we'd indeed learn more about the Master uh, from your word and that, Lord, we'd learn uh, of you and from you this night. Lord, give me wisdom as your servant, I pray, to have clarity of thought, to have uh, clarity of speech, that, Lord God, that tonight we might receive from you that which you have intended for us. May our hearts be blessed and refreshed by your word this night. And guide our time together, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's epistle to the Romans, as we have said, has transformed the lives of men and women down through the centuries, and it's still transforming lives today. It transformed the lives of the likes of great men like Martin Luther and John Wesley, and it will transform our lives if you and I will allow it to do so. You know, the writing has so powerfully influenced the thinking of the church. In fact, this book is often described as the Mount Kosciuszko or the Mount Everest of Scripture. At the outset of Romans, Paul presents his credentials to us in what is a very lengthy uh, salutation of verses 1 through 7. We've seen so far that Paul tells us that he is a servant of Jesus Christ, that he's an apostle, and that he is a preacher of the gospel. And now today, as we come to verses 5 through 7, we see that Paul declares he is commissioned to serve. He is commissioned to serve. There are some truths that we can learn here from these verses because you too, you and I too have been commissioned to serve Almighty God by God. So firstly tonight, look with me at the commission in verse 5. It says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. These apostles, these sent ones, are being sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, By whom? And the by whom takes us back to verse 4, because in verse 4 we read, and declared to be the Son of God, with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And so the by whom is Christ. Christ is the one who has called them to apostleship. It's by Christ that they receive their commission to be apostles. And he's talking about all the apostles. He says, we have received grace and apostleship. It's by uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that they receive their commission as apostles to this ministry of apostleship. They have received their commission directly from the Lord. 
and they received it by grace, it says, the apostles received grace and apostleship through the Son. That is, they received grace for apostleship, and their apostleship was indeed a gift of grace. That's the implication of what he's saying here. By whom we've received, by Jesus Christ, we received grace and apostleship. God, by his grace, has commissioned us to be apostles, and it's by the grace of God that we've been empowered to be apostles for the Lord. And the same is true for you and I. It's by his grace that we've received our commission from the Lord. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we're told that ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our commission, the Great Commission. Go ye therefore to all the world and preach the gospel. That's the commission that God gave to you and gave, God gave to me. It's the commission that we received from the Lord. And it was by his grace that you and I received this commission. You and I don't deserve to be ambassador of Christ. You and I don't deserve to have such a, a, a commission issued to us. But we've been, by his grace, commissioned to the ministry of preaching Christ. And the enabling power for that ministry is also a gift of grace from God. Isn't that what Acts 1.8 says? And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You and I receive the empowering of God to carry out our commission. You and I are not going forth to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the lost and dying world, in our own strength. You and I, by his grace, have been commissioned to the ministry of reconciliation, as St. Corinthians tells us, but you and I also, by his grace, have been empowered for that ministry. And so, as Paul says here, that the apostles have received their grace and apostleship, likewise, you and I have, by his grace, been commissioned and empowered for the ministry. He will enable us. He will strengthen us. He will empower us to serve. And that's a joy to know, that when you and I go forth with the desire to be a witness for Jesus Christ, you and I go forth in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go in our own power and our own strength. Then he tells us what the goal of this commission was in verse 5. He says, by whom we receive grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. The obedience of faith. This is the goal of the commission. The reason they were going forth as apostles, preaching, uh, obeying God, and preaching the gospel, and seeing souls saved, and ministering in churches, was that they might indeed see the obedience of faith. The reason for the empowering of the apostles, the reason for the empowering of the believers, is to bring all nations to believe Christ. Now, there's no doubt about that. You know, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The reason why you and I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go forth to preach the gospel is because God wants all men to be saved. The reason why the apostles were empowered by the Holy Spirit is because God wanted all men to be saved. The reason for the empowering of believers, the reason for empowering the apostles was to bring all nations to believe in Christ, but not just that. It wasn't just so that they would be saved, but it's so that they would be entirely devoted to his service. That's the idea of obedience here. That they were going forth as apostles for the obedience to the faith, 
among all nations, that those who are saved would be obedient to their faith, that those that are saved would go on for the Lord, that those who are saved would indeed bring glory to God. The goal was to produce or to promote in each believer obedience to the faith. I mean, God didn't want people to get the apostles to go out and preach the gospel, souls get saved, and those people go on living the way they'd always lived. He didn't give you and I the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower you and I to be witness for him just so that you and I could go on living like the world and living the way that we lived before we got saved. He saved you and I and he sent the apostles with the gospel so that you and I would be saved and sent forth believers with the gospel so that you and I would be saved for the purpose of producing in us obedience to the faith. To induce those who are saved to render obedience to God to not just be saved but to be set apart for divine service isn't that what Ephesians 2 tells us we know it well let's go there Ephesians chapter 2 please Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 for by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves as a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You and I were saved by his grace so that you and I might go forth and do good works and walk in them. You see, our salvation is the beginning, it's not the end. Having our sins forgiven, having, a, having a, a being justified is the beginning, it's not the end. It's the beginning of our relationship with Jesus Christ and from that point onwards, we are supposed to go forth in obedience unto God. There's supposed to be the demonstration of the righteousness that we now have. We're supposed to bring forth fruits of righteousness. In other words, the apostles went forward by the grace of God for the purpose of encouraging saints to sanctification. Obedience of faith, a genuine faith that results in submission. And that's what it should be for all of us. Salvation by faith is the beginning, it's not the end. Obedience is the way to live. In fact, obedience ought to be a way of life. The, the result of you and I being born again ought to be that you and I are living that life of a child of God. Go with me to James, please. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And commence to read in verse 17 of James chapter 2. It says, Even so faith, if hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, men may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? For by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. 
You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. You see, our faith ought to produce works. A faith that does not work is dead. A faith that does not work is ineffective. A faith that does not work is not bringing glory to God. The design of the gospel is to induce men to believe in God and that that faith in God is intended to result in or produce obedience. Show me me thy faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works, James says. And even Abraham was justified by works. The demonstration of our faith is our works. If all men are to see that we are his disciples, they have to see it in our works. Faith ought to produce obedience. The goal of the commission was to produce obedience to the Lord among all nations for obedience to faith among all nations. That is among all nations but especially the Greek or Gentile nations here. Now, this will be easy to overlook, this this phrase, to all nations. Think of it for a moment here. Here is an ex-Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, declaring his willingness to go to all nations. Pastor mentioned this morning about Peter, how that Peter uh, had this similar struggle. He was an Orthodox Jew. And he was to go forth with, uh, to Cornelius' house of uh, a Roman of the Italian band and to share the gospel with him. And how that his uh, religious prejudices would have caused him difficulty going there. Well, think about the Apostle Paul. This is the man who went about breathing out threatenings against the, Jew, against the Christians because he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. A touch of the law, he said, was a Pharisee. He was... He was uh, 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 up there with the, re- with the religious order. He was a man who believed himself to be right with God. And this is the man that now says that he's going to go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring forth obedience to that gospel amongst the nations, which includes the Gentile nations. A few years before this, he would have held it highly unlawful to keep company with another nation. Now in Christ, he desires to reach even the Gentiles. Isn't that what he says in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Romans? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation of everyone that believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. In fact, in verse 14, he says, I am dead both to Greeks and to barbarians. Both to wise and unwise. Here is the change that's taking place in his heart by the grace of God. Here the Pharisee, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, has been changed to a man who now has a willingness to go forth to all nations, even the Gentile nations, to preach the gospel that they might indeed demonstrate obedience to their faith that more might get saved. It's the change that Christ has brought. Here's a lesson for us. We need for the Lord to soften our hearts, don't we? And give us a passion for souls that you and I don't discriminate about anybody that we see, but that you and I realize that all men are lost and dying on the way to hell, and all of them need the Savior, and Christ died for all of them, and that God would give you and I a passion for souls. He finishes verse 5 by saying, For his name 
for his name or for his name's sake, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had received his apostleship by the grace of God as a gift of grace, that he might go forth and encourage the saints to be obedient to the faith. And those saints are found amongst all nations. Why? For his name's sake. For the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was his motivation for seeking to fulfill his commission. He was doing this for Christ. You see, Paul never forgot what Christ had done for him at Calvary. Paul never forgot Calvary. He never forgot that road to Damascus. He never forgot that encounter with the Lord. He never forgot his salvation. You read his epistles. He talks about his salvation numerous times. He never forgot what the Lord did for him. He never forgot how the Lord saved him. He never forgot the commission that God had given to him. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth me. Paul was constrained by the love of Christ. The very mention of the name moved him to devotion to the Savior, resulting in his passion to serve. And beloved, the Lord equally deserves our entire devotion. He loved us. He died for us. Surely now we should willingly live for him. Our lives belong to him. We are his personal property. Our motto should be, for his name's sake. I do what I do for him. I want to serve him. I want to witness for him. I want to live for him. You know, the work of the apostles was not one in which they were seeking to honor themselves. It was solely for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. They toiled. They encountered perils. They laid down their lives because they were doing it that they might bring glory to the Lord, that they might bring people to Christ, and in turn, that Christ might be glorified. Beloved, you and I have a commission from Almighty God. And we too should seek to obey the Lord and serve him for his name's sake so that he might get the glory. The commission. Secondly, look at the recipients in verses 6 and the beginning of verse 7. Among whom are you also called of Jesus Christ? To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. His commission was to all nations, and that certainly included the city of Rome. Now, no one knows for certain when the church at Rome began, but it is likely that believers in Rome are the ones who are at Pentecost. And they'd heard Peter preach on the day of Pentecost, and when the persecution under Paul arose, they were scattered abroad, and they went back to Rome, and they preached the gospel, and souls were saved. Go to Romans, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 10. 
talking about the ones who were there, it says back in verse um, 7, it says, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans? And how hear we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt and the past of Libya, Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Greeks and Arabians, who do hear them speak in our tongue the wonderful works of God. There were strangers from Rome there that day. And it's more than likely that these strangers from Rome under the persecution of Paul had gone back to Rome. It's interesting, isn't it? It's the Apostle Paul, the man who was seeking to put them to death, is now the man who is preaching the gospel to them and seeking to minister to them. And there is both Jews and Gentiles in the fellowships at Rome. Because when Paul writes this book, he actually addresses Jews and Gentiles. He's going to speak about Jews in chapter 2, about how they're unsaved. Then he spends chapters 9, 10, 11, three whole chapters talking about the nation of Israel, the Jews. So he's ministering to both Jews and Gentiles in the churches, the fellowships at Rome. Now we may not know when it began, but we do know this. Peter was not the founder of the church of Rome, no matter what one famous church declares. He was not the founder and he was not the first pope of Rome. Peter was not the founder. Paul greeted more than 25 men by name in the letter of Romans, and yet he never mentions Peter's name once. Now, if you're going to mention 25 people's names in the book of Romans, you would think you would mention the Bishop of Rome, Peter himself, in that title, wouldn't you? If he was there, or if he'd been there, surely you would have mentioned him somewhere in the book. Further that, Paul wanted to preach where Christ had not been named and to build upon no other man's foundation. Look in Romans 15.20. Romans 15.20. says, Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. As Peter started the church at Rome, Paul was now violating his own conviction. He was building upon another man's foundation. And you would think the only right way to do that would be that Peter told him it was okay to go ahead and do it, and therefore he would have mentioned that fact in this book. If Peter started the church at Rome, I think it would have been pretty clear that this book of Romans would have made some mention of it. Another bit of proof against Peter's founding the church at Rome is that the book of Acts has nothing to say about it. Now, Acts of the uh, Apostles does tell us an awful lot about the spread of the gospel throughout the empire, the Roman Empire. You would think if the Apostle Peter had made his all the way to Rome, that somehow Luke, this fastidious historian who records detail after detail after detail of what's happening in the early church, you would suspect that Peter would have at least recorded that fact. I'm sorry, Luke would have recorded that fact, but he didn't. Like the converts from Paul's ministry were drawn to Rome, even as people from other areas are drawn to Macy's today, not only were those scattered abroad under the persecution, but others who got saved in the ministry of Paul around the Roman Empire gravitated back to the capital city of Rome and were involved in these churches. Whether the church was fully organized 
the time Paul wrote this book is questionable. But the embryo certainly was there. And just as Paul was called to salvation apostleship, so the Roman believers were called of Jesus Christ. He says that in verse 6. Among whom are you also called of Jesus Christ? This phrase indicates ownership. They were called of Jesus Christ. These were Christ ones. These are the ones who belonged to Jesus Christ. They'd heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. They'd come under the convicting of the Holy Spirit and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were saved. They were his. They belonged to Jesus Christ. It's the same as you and I. You and I are a purchased possession. We're bought with a price, according to 1 Corinthians 6.20. And you and I are called of Jesus Christ. You and I are his possession. We, are, we do belong to him because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul went on to say in verse 7 that these Christians were beloved of God. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God. You know, God loves the world. and We know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that God loves sinners, but he has a special love for those who are in Christ Jesus. They're beloved of God. This truth has implications for service, for life, for personal conviction. You know, salvation is not something that we do for God. It's God who calls us. It's God who saves us by his grace. And God does it because he loves us. You and I have been called by Almighty God to salvation. You and I have been saved by his grace. And it's all possible because he loved us sufficiently enough to send his son to die for us. Upon Calvary, we're beloved of God. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians, please. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians in chapter two. And verse thirteen. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are beloved of God. We were chosen of God and we're called of God by the gospel. When you and I heard the preaching of the gospel and you and I realized that we were sinners before a holy God and by faith we called out to God for salvation, you and I were gloriously saved because God loved us and he still loves us. We are the beloved of God. When we trusted Christ, we are saved by grace. And because we are called and beloved, we ought to be obedient. You see, this relationship that we have with the Lord ought to produce in you and I obedience to the faith. One more fact of note about these believers at Rome. Paul goes on in verse 7 and says, Beloved of God, called to be saints. Called to be saints. The repetition of the word called here. Paul was called to be an apostle, believers are called of Jesus Christ. 
And now they were called to be saints. The two B's in italics, which means it's not in the original. So what has actually been said here is called saints. They were already saints. They were not called to be saints in some future date. You know, when somebody declares 400 years after their death, their canonization because they supposedly carried out two miracles and a bunch of other things, whatever the criteria for, for sainthood is. Every believer at the moment of salvation are saints. These Roman believers who are beloved of God are saints. Not that they would be saints someday, but they are saints. Not that they might be saints after their death and they're canonized, but they are saints. They're born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And at the moment of salvation, they were declared to be saints. Saint simply means called out ones. And you and I, by virtue of the calling of God in our lives, are saints. It's a fact. It's a statement of fact. You and I are saints. Now, we may not always act saintly. And many of us may at times feel like our halo has slipped a lot and we don't feel saintly at all, but that does not make us any less a saint than we are because we were saved. The moment we were saved, we became saints, called out ones for the glory of God, set apart one. And the person who trusts Jesus Christ the Savior is set apart under God. And notice he says, to all that be in Rome, in verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. This means that Paul was addressing all that were in Christ in that city. Now, since all believers through all ages are called of Jesus Christ, and since all, ages, all saints of all ages are beloved of God, and since all saints of all ages are called saints, here he's talking to you and I as well. In fact, you could replace the word Rome with any city or town you want to replace it with where believers are found. To all that be engrafted and beloved of God called to be saints. That's us, folks. This places tremendous responsibility on each believer and every church member. Paul's special commission was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and that's why he was planning to go to Rome. He was a preacher of the gospel, and the gospel was for all nations. And you and I have a commission too. And with that commission comes great responsibility. And as saints, you and I are to go forth as the representatives of Jesus Christ this world in obedience unto the faith that others might see Christ in us, the hope of glory, and they might hear the message of reconciliation and they might be gloriously saved. Paul was a purchased slave, a called apostle, a separated preacher. And we can't be apostles because there's only one group of apostles. That was that first initial group. Yet you and I are purchased. We are a purchased possession. We are a called out group of people. And you and I have been separated of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be obedient to the faith. He's called us, and now you and I are to be separated unto obedience. We're saved. 
whether we live a separated life or not, we are separated because we are God's children and therefore we ought to live in the obedience to the faith that you and I were saved to and through at salvation. The commission, the recipients, and lastly the benediction, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The benediction was Paul's usual expression found in all of his letters. This is what he did in all of his letters, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The order of this benediction which is written is essential. Grace comes first, grace to you. Because grace comes before peace. Because grace is the foundation of peace. So grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've experienced the grace of God at salvation, then peace be unto you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We can never know peace until we first know the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But once we've experienced the grace of God, then Christ said, my peace I give unto you, I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, do I give you, but it gives us peace. And you and I as believers are the recipients of salvation through Jesus Christ under the obedience of faith because we've been saved by grace and have experienced the peace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in our modern world would be a speaker, a missionary, an author, a world traveler, a philosopher, a craftsman. But above all, he would be a servant of Jesus Christ. And our gifts may not be the same as Paul's. But you and I, each and every one of us, have a specific and unique ministry to which God has called us and God has gifted us. And that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. And God has empowered us by his spirit and gifted us by his spirit to be able to fulfill that responsibility and be obedient unto the faith. As believers in Christ, we should endeavor to live up to our calling and yield our lives to serve the Lord because we've been commissioned with the great commission to go forth to the gospel of Jesus Christ and empowered by his spirit we might be obedient to the faith and encourage others to be saved and likewise be obedient that he might get the glory that he might get the praise because it's for his name's sake let's pray gracious father we thank you tonight for the book of Romans we thank you for this salutation which is lengthy but it's full of so many rich gems Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the salvation that is ours through faith, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, that because of that grace and that salvation that you desire for us to be obedient unto faith, that we might indeed be sanctified day by day, set apart 
unto your service, that as saints we might live up to our position and be faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Help us to go forth and boldly proclaim your name. Go forth with the ministry of reconciliation so that all men might be saved and Christ might get the glory. Help us, Father God, to live for your glory and for his name's sake. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.